election here, and I'm going to ask you to choose between two candidates, colored pencils and markers. Who is voting for colored pencils? Okay. Ten votes for colored pencils. Who is voting for markers? Fourteen for markers. Markers have won the popular vote. But now it was time to warp these young minds by introducing them to the electoral college. Table one, selector, how do you cast your vote? Markers. Table three, selector. Colored pencils. Colored In the end, pencils. the whole election came down to one state. Elector, how do you cast your vote? Colored pencils. What's that? You're so cheating. Everybody should think it's unfair. Because it's not just about the lecturer's vote, it's about everybody's vote. Oh, Aubrey, you are a rabble rouser. <laughs> yes. The documentary is now airing on PBS stations around the country. Morocco is with us now. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, third graders have an uncorrupted sense of fairness. Yeah. Uh, how did we get to this? The Electoral College, uh, which Thomas Jefferson called an ink blot on the Constitution, was uh, an unenthusiastic compromise uh, among the framers. They uh, toyed with the idea of a popular vote. They rejected that. They thought about having Congress select the president. That would have given Congress too much power. So they settled on an indirect election, uh, which was common at the time. And slavery also played a role. It was a way of giving South credit for their slaves, electoral credit for their slaves. So while they treated slaves as zero-fifths of a person, each slave counted as three-fifths of a person in the infamous three-fifths clause in the Constitution in order to bring balance between North and South. Well, let's go back to your kids for a second in the piece. That little boy said, no fair, it's cheating. And the latest polls no. show that 62% of the voters, Mo do not like the electoral college system, yet it still exists today. Yeah, both Democrats and Republicans don't like it. And in my opinion, if Mitt Romney were to win the popular vote and Barack Obama were to win the electoral college vote, I don't think the electoral college would be disbanded. I think it would blow up in a fiery ball because I think both parties would have been um, lost out with the electoral college in the course of 12 so years. So what would they then do? Uh, well, there would have to either be a constitutional amendment. There's also a plan to do an end run around the Constitution, something called the National Popular Vote Plan. And I don't want to take too long to explain it, but it's a way for states to um, – it's an interstate compact. And a bunch of states have agreed to it, saying that they'll cast their electoral votes for the winner of the national popular vote, regardless of how their state votes, if enough states agree to this to equal the winning number of 270. I know that's confusing. If you have a DVR, rewind <laughs> yes, it. Rewind. I promise you it makes sense. And play again. You know, but the bottom line for people is how can you win the popular vote and still not be president of the United States? We're the, uh, we are the only democracy on earth that uses this system. And defenders of it say, well, what about the small states? It protects the small states. The only states it protects are a handful of swing states. Right. These guys are running for president of Ohio now, and it doesn't make any sense. So if, in fact, they're not electoral, this is another electoral issue. So if, in fact, uh, nobody gets 270 electoral votes, both have, say, 269. It gets thrown to Congress. And the House of Representatives decides on the president. That's and correct. And the Senate decides on the vice, on president. The vice president. That's correct. So Which... we end up with a president from the Republican Party 
and a vice president from the Democratic Party. I smell sitcom. <laughs> that would be a ridiculous situation. Um, but I believe that if there were a popular vote right now, you would have Mitt Romney campaigning in Orange County, California. You'd have Barack Obama going to Austin, Texas. At least it would be more, they'd be going to more parts of the country. Nicely worked. Nicely done. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Bernie Sanders wins Nevada, getting heat from people over previous comments on Cuba. Uh, Kirk Douglas gets rid of all of his money for his family and the Electoral College once again in the debates. Uh, I'm Johnny, and let's call this the weekly joust for the moment. Yeah, go figure. Trump supporting Republican using the CNN election music as a theme music for this right now. But I want something a little bit uplifting like that. And this gives the energy. Welcome, everybody. Um, gonna be trying this new item out. I've been wanting, people have been wanting me or telling me, dude, just get it over and done with. Do a, do a political show. And, um, finally I kind of tested it out, uh, yesterday during the Nevada caucus. And, uh, you know, just basically making some predictions, looking at how things are going, gave an unbiased review on it, and um, had the fun. So, I'm actually going to be giving what is an opinion-based show at this point now. You know, that's what's that's what this is. You know, it's going to be with some news, but also doing outright legitimate opinion-based. That's what it is. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I can give an unbiased item as far as the reporting the news and the items itself but then at the same time being able to give my opinion on it you know there's a there's a clear way to separate the two of them so let's look at this nevada we have the results in well not all of it not a hundred percent that's the weird thing it's a caucus I, I i hate to say it, but it sounds like it should be a lot easier to get everything in for a caucus you know because it's one vote once you determine who won the precinct you know so it's just a lot easier to report those uh, but as of right now, and um, I'm doing this at 10.30 at night, uh, just about 10.30, and um, the results are 88% reporting in. Bernie Sanders won Nevada with 47%. Joe Biden got 21%. Ironically, that is the highest showing he's done so far of the three states. He came in, what is he, he came in fifth place, I believe, in Iowa and fourth place in New Hampshire. Um, or did I have those reversed? Um yeah, I think I actually got it reversed. So it's uh, crazy to think that low. Um, but the fact is, is that this is the best he's got going on right now, and he's going to need this going in to South Carolina because South Carolina is basically the make or break is what I said before. You know, South Carolina, I was listening to Ben Shapiro, actually, and uh, Ben Shapiro gave an opinion when it was based on uh, with how Bernie's doing, and he said that he'd be shocked if any other candidate – is able to win at least two states. He believes it's going to be a clean sweep for Bernie. I'm, oh, I'm not saying I'm completely against the idea. I think uh, Bernie Sanders, I feel, will probably get a clear majority of the states. Uh, but the the big question I'm I'm curious about, and I was talking about this as well yesterday, is the American South. The American South has a big problem with the idea of socialism. Even good old fashioned Southern Democrats don't don't want to go for that. So there's the other candidates to support. So the question is, um, 
you know, how is he going to fare? You know, here's a, here's a big point that was made out. Florida, how is he going to do in Florida, you know? There's a Jewish population here in Florida, and I point that out because Bernie's Jewish as well, so there can be a connection like that. But we've also got a big Cuban uh, population in Florida. We've also got some other uh, nationality populations in the state uh, that have left socialist and communist leaderships like Venezuelans and Nicaraguans, for example, and they may not take too kindly to the idea of socialism because they lived or, or, or the offspring of those who lived through that kind of stuff. So that's going to be an effect. But So we're going to have to see how Bernie does in the American South. In a lot of the country, I believe Bernie's going to outright win in terms of states like that. But it's gonna, it's gonna, we're gonna have to see how it goes. Now, I kinda went on this whole diatribe yesterday, you know, during the Nevada caucus. Uh, now I'm doing it kind of a little bit afterwards, but that's because we've got the results now. We've got the solidification that Bernie's won this. They're basically now calling Iowa for Bernie as well, uh, which is the weird thing. So, we're gonna have to see how this, how that goes. We're gonna have to see what, um, um, what's coming of that. We know that he got the popular vote in Iowa in terms of the amount of people that, uh, showed up for the Iowa caucus, but at the same time, you could have a thousand people show up at one precinct and then, for, and you get, and you get the victory on that, and then you get, your opponent could have a hundred at another precinct and you only have fifty, and they won that. So that's why there's that case, you know, why the popular vote doesn't work with the, with the caucuses, because it's, it's similar to the, in the, the electoral college, if you think about it. So, like right now, as far as the first place by national pledge delegates, New Hampshire is tied between Buttigieg and Bernie. Nevada is going for Bernie, and Iowa is still a toss-up, but they're kind of calling Iowa for Bernie in some ways because he did get the popular vote in Iowa. So, But again, the popular vote means nothing in uh, the caucuses that's going on in the different states with caucuses like uh, Nevada and um, – <clears throat> apologies – and uh, North Dakota and a couple other states that do. I think, does Minnesota have a caucus? I, I think Minnesota is one of the ones that has a caucus. So we'll have to take a look at that. But I'm digressing at this point. Um, now we've got another state down. South Carolina, the, These this next week, this next uh, nine days to be exact, because it's Sunday right now, February 23rd. March 3rd is Super Tuesday. And... That's going to set the stage. South Carolina is the last state before Super Tuesday. So Super Tuesday is the crown jewel. Super Tuesday is where everything is, where most of the stuff is at. And, uh, I mean, and you, and the big, as well as the big, the big prize itself, California. California having, I believe, over 400 delegates up for grabs. And you need like 1991 to, uh, uh, delegates to win the nomination. Now, the question is, is to see how this is going to go about with South Carolina. Be, like I said, it's the last one and it's the only one for the American South. You got to think about it like this. The four states that happened before Super Tuesday represent four regions of the United States. Iowa represents the Midwest. New Hampshire represents, um, New England, the Northeast. You've got Nevada basically representing the Pacific. I mean, it's not, it's not on the Pacific, but I mean, you could, the fact that Nevada is kind of like a cutout of California when you look at the shape of the two states, you can kind of go like that. And then you've got South Carolina representing the American South. <clears throat> the only way you could separate any more in terms of outright regions and not individual states is, uh, like the Southwest. You know, you could treat, you could treat Arizona to, 
I wouldn't want to call South, uh, I mean, Louisiana part of the Southwest, but you almost could because of the fact of its proximity to Houston, and Houston's still part of the Southwest because it's in Texas, you know. So that'd probably be the borderline. would be Arizona to Texas. You could include Oklahoma to that, and it'd be those five states. No, four. Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, and maybe Louisiana. Probably not. Louisiana, you probably count in the Southeast. So, uh, But it's going to be an interesting time to see how it goes. And but with Super Tuesday, that's a crown jewel. So it's this is where they're getting their bumps, and you're gonna have some of the the candidates on Super Tuesday. Their state is popping up, like uh, Klobuchar, Minnesota will be happening. Uh, Biden, Delaware doesn't happen until later. In fact, Delaware does not happen till April. Buttigieg is Indiana, and Indiana doesn't happen till May. So Buttigieg won't even have the chance for the bump in Indiana. You know. Because that's not until happening until near the very end. So he's one who's going to luck out. Like, he could use that bump from Indiana. You know, that's why California moved theirs up to Super Tuesday. Because it adds so much more to being on Super Tuesday. By the way, I'm looking at it right now. Minnesota does not do a uh, caucus. They do a primary. So apologies for that. And, um, <clears throat> but, and uh, everybody's got a primary on Super Tuesday with the exception of American Samoa. They do a caucus as well. And it's, uh... You know, they, California moved up because they were expecting Kamala Harris to still be in the race and they wanted to give her that bump. By winning California, she was going to win a lot of delegates, get a big surge, even though it's all coming from one state. And that's what, that's kind of something we could tie in when it comes to the electoral college talk. But first, I'm going to be moving over and we're going to talk about some other stuff that's going on with Bernie. Bernie right now is going up, going through a problem because, you know, he's, the topics come back up of him supporting Cuba and Fidel Castro. And, you know, basically he was questioned again about um, Fidel Castro's socialist Cuba and Bernie Sanders supported it and has defended it. And he said it and it was a quote, unfair to simply say everything is bad, you know. And basically the article is going off, you know, saying the fact that people are attacking him. He was speaking to 60 Minutes on CBS News. And keep in mind, Sanders, who was a self-proclaimed democratic socialist, I always wonder why they say it like that. Here's the big thing I wonder. Is he a card-carrying member of the Democratic Socialists of America? That's that's a movement. It's an organization within the Democratic Party to make the, the party more socialist. Similar to the fact that how I'm a member of the Republican Liberty Caucus. You know, it's libertarian Republicans. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's not to say that me being a Liberty Republican is the same as a Democratic Socialist. But it is the same in the fact of the concept of a faction within a party. You know what I mean? Uh, if he's a card-carrying member of the DSA... You don't have to call him self-proclaimed. Maybe they don't know he's a card-carrying member. Maybe they just haven't asked that. Um, so that could be the question. You know, if they haven't confirmed that uh, that he's a card-carrying member, then maybe that's why they say self-proclaimed, which I can understand that, you know. But at the same time, I mean, he calls himself a democratic socialist. So that meets the definition of being self-proclaimed, but why not just call him that? I'm a liberty Republican. You don't have to say that I'm a self-proclaimed. I mean, do I need to be anointed by the RLC? I don't know. Uh, but basically, you know, he pointed to Cuba's social welfare programs um, under Ca uh, under Castro uh, that he he calls uh, as a redeeming quality. And despite, of course, all the problems such as the human rights violations, a lot of other problems that's happened with Fidel. And um, this was brought up, uh, Bernie Sanders said to Anderson Cooper. He said, we're very opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. 
Uh, but you know, it's unfair to simply say everything is bad. You know, when Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did. He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? Even though Fidel Castro did it, let me, let me point out something and I'm going to make this comparison. Um, now for the record, I am not trying to say that Bernie Sanders is like Adolf Hitler. This is not that I'm trying to, I'm, and somebody's going to be listening is going, Oh my God, you're preempting like that. I'm trying to preempt it like that. So nobody thinks like that, but let me point this out. Hitler reinvigorated the German industrial industry, you know, uh, manufacturing, uh, industries, factories. He helped build that back up. He built back up the military and everything. There's some good things you could see like that. Doesn't mean the guy was a good guy. Okay. You could do, you could do something that's good and be bad. He revitalized the German, uh, industrial sector. And that's a good thing. That was a good thing for Germany, especially the fact that they got hit hard, hard. They got hit hard on uh, the depression. So to be able to re- revitalize the industrial sector was a big deal. But Hitler did a lot of bad things, a lot of bad things, a lot of bad things, you know. Sorry, just taking a sip of my soda that I'm sure somebody's spitting. And, um, you know, so to say that, okay, Fidel Castro, he had a massive literacy program. That's a good thing. That, that I, You can't dispute that. The fact that he helped do it because he wanted to raise the literacy rate in Cuba is a good thing, and that's a great thing. It really is. You know, effectively, in that sector alone, he helped make Cuba great again. Ha-ha! <laughs> but anyway, I digress. It's stupidity. Um, the problem is Fidel Castro had a lot of bad problems. The guy was a dictator. The guy had a lot of evil uh, trends and friendships. I mean, this guy became buddy buddies with the heads of the Soviet Union. This guy was allowing them to bring their missiles, and we almost went to World War III because of Cuba, because of this island that's 90 miles south, who is only independent because when we went to war with Spain in the Spanish-American War in 1898, that when we defeated them, we got the we got the territories of the Philippines, uh, Guam, Cuba, and Puerto Rico. We immediately gave independence to Cuba, and then we we tried keeping the Philippines. It was an insurrection, and finally we allowed an autonomous in, uh, independence for them, where they had a presidency and their own military and stuff like that. But they were kind of seen as a quasi territory of us until after World War II. Uh, but that was Philippines, not Cuba. Cuba is was part of the Spanish Empire, and we gave them independence immediately. You know, uh, when we got them in, at the at the end of the war, you know. So it's crazy to think that, I mean, that's the fun part, you know. They got that, their whole independence, they'd still be a Spanish colony, and then what happens, they have this dictator. Now, let me point out that one of the things is the idea, okay, if it was Fidel, so what do you mean? You want to go back to Bautista. Bautista, who was the dictator beforehand, was a real problem as well, like not a good guy in many ways. The reason why you don't hear about him so much like that is because he worked with the U.S. government. He worked with U.S. businesses, and that's why he um, he's not talked about as much on account of the fact that, okay, you know, we are um, – he did business with us, so he can't be seen as bad of a person. But the guy was a brutal dictator. So, like, I understand why Cuba fell – for Fidel, you know, because they had a brutal dictator in Bautista. So I can get that portion, you know. But when you look at the actual workings of Fidel over the time when he was uh, the head of Cuba and then as well under his brother, you know, it was thought that once Fidel left office that the that the party 
the Communist Party may start going under or would start calming down, you know what I mean, and not be as communist. I mean, you look at China. They still have one party, one rule. It's the Communist Party. That's it. That's all it is. Uh, but they, at the same time, do practice a lot of capitalism. So even the Communist Party of China is not entirely communist. Uh, but the fact that Cuba, to this day, is still going off of this because they were hoping that once that happened, they were hoping once he died, you know, it was said that, I don't know if they actually ended up at it, but like there was a group that actually was able to pay for the Miami Bowl, the stadium down in Miami, to have a big party for when Fidel died, you know, and I don't know if they actually had that party or not, probably, uh, I could try looking that up now that I think about it, but we could, uh, but these guys wanted to see him dead and see uh, Cuba flourish again. And even since, even though his brother Raul Castro, who took over when Fidel decided to leave office, uh, he's out of office now, and we still see the communist control going on in Cuba, you know, to this day under the leadership there. And some of the belief is that once Raul passes away, then we could actually um, we could actually see it. And uh, that could be the case. We'll we'll have to see what happens, you know. But at the same time, here's the deal: is that he's no longer the president of Cuba, but he's still the head of the Communist Party. That's the thing, you know. They call it the uh, the first secretary of the Communist Party of Cuba is his title, and he is. Uh, I think they still call it that. They they call it that for the for the Soviet Union. I think they also use the title of general secretary. And um, but he's the head of the Communist Party. So while he's left the office of being the president of Cuba. He's still the head of the party, and that's the big problem. You know, it's only been him and his brother as the heads of the party. So, you know, um, we it's bleh. the fact that Bernie's going on. Um, hey, oh crap, it's over now. No, Mitt, we're good for. We, I've only just got started. So, uh, apologies, it looked like there was a little bit of a glitch going on with Mixler, so, <laughs> apologies for that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I got this going on, and then, uh, for anybody that's just tuning in, uh, been going on for the last bit, talking about the, um, uh, talk, talking about, um, I played a clip for, on the Electoral College, which I'll be getting into. I've been, I was talking about Bernie winning, uh, Nevada and how it's looking. And I've been spending this whole time talking about his, uh, the, the news coming out because of his stuff with, uh, Cuba. And right now, his thing they're talking about is that in a resurfaced speech given at the University of Vermont in 1986, at this point, Bernie should, st- should be at this point, 1986, he was the mayor of Burlington, I believe. Uh, Bernie Sanders, right here, 1986, yeah, he had to have been the mayor at the time. Um, he was mayor for a long time, to be honest. And, uh, yeah, 1981 to 1989, he was the mayor. And then he left office, and then in 1991, he became a congressman and was a congressman for Vermont till 07 when he became senator. So, in this speech going off, um, you see... Uh, Bernie outright, you know, praising the socialist policies implemented by Cuba. I'm reading off the article at this moment, you know, and it says, while Sanders said in the new interview that he condemns any human rights violations that Castro committed, he also took aim at the president for his unlikely friendships with some dictators. Here's the thing as well. The idea of, uh, he doesn't, uh, the idea of establishing a friendship, if you want to call it that, with Kim Jong-un or Vladimir Putin is not bad because, and here's why I say that. 
Now, here's the question. Is it a friendship? Is it a business friendship? Is it a political friendship? Is it a, a an acquaintanceship? How is it? Because we got to look at the significance. I have said, regardless of the president of the United States, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent, Green Party, Reform Party, Veterans Party, Constitution Party, I don't care. I don't care. You, you, we got to have some kind of business and some kind of relationship, any if at all, with the heads of China and Russia, um, the two biggest adversaries. It, it, to an extent, it'd be good to have some kind of talks with Iran, but not so much, and I don't really care about that. Iran is regional-based, but Russia and China are, are, are global powerhouses. You know what I mean? It's a global powerhouse, this this country, and um, these countries are. And, you know, there's some other ones, France, the UK, Germany, um, global powerhouses in many ways, you know, depending on one case or another. Germany may not seem global, but the fact is they're one of the main leaders of the EU, and the EU has a lot of global hold in some ways and, and importance. So that's why Germany is in play. France has all the different colonies and territories around the planet, just like the UK. UK doesn't have any more in Asia, but, you know, so. Ironically, France has all the requirements to be an empire, but they don't have a king anymore. <laughs> so there's that. But... In this whole speech, you know, he's talking about and he's defending Fidel back in the 80s. And, you know, the fact that he's attacking the idea like, okay, I do not think that Kim Jong-un is a good friend. I don't trade love letters with a murdering dictator. Vladimir Putin's not a great friend of mine. Uh, you can say however it is you want like that. And I, and to, to a point, I agree with like that. But the fact is um, we, we got to – and like Luke is saying right there, you know, speak to your adversaries without precondition. That right there is the importance. We we got to have some kind of business with China. We got to have some kind of businesses with Russia. There's there's no way around it. You know, there, I mean, we could cut off all ties, sure. But the fact is, is that if we can have some kind of ties of talking and, you know, prevention of any major problems, that's the key thing. You know, so we look at what's the global powers. Every country wants to talk to the United States. Every country wants to talk to China. Everybody, everybody, every country wants to talk to Russia. Every country wants to talk to the UK. Every country wants to talk to France. There's a reason why I named those five. They're also the five permanent members of the UN Security Council. Those are the five global powerhouses of, of the planet. The UK and France may seem to a lesser extent, but those are the kings of Europe. Russia may mostly be part of Europe in terms of its populated area, but it's not. Uh, overall, most of it is actually... Um, is actually uh, mostly considered to be, let's see, joining what? Um, you know, it's mostly considered to be, oh my God, I brain farted, I'm sorry. Got a stupid message and uh, now my my mind is as blank as a freaking piece of paper. Uh, I'm trying to turn off these alerts so that way they're not hurt again. But anyway, um, you, you, every, all these countries want to talk to these five countries. They're the global powerhouses in one way, one shape, one form. It doesn't matter. And the same thing has to be done for us. We have to establish those ties and maintain those ties. You know, the, the, a lot of these countries, I don't, I, I don't like China. I don't like uh, the Russia. You know, and I'm talking politically, not the people. Okay, but we got to maintain these ties. So if he wants to attack, like uh, this guy's outright defending a lot of the brutal stuff of Fidel Castro, and at the same time, it's like. He's he's defending this stuff, and it's like, okay, well, but he did this, and he did that. Okay, let's look at Millet Fillmore, for example. Millet Fillmore was president of the United States. Goddamn these stupid notifications. Um, you know, freaking notification. God, there we go. Stupid phones. Um, Millet Fillmore was the 13th president of the United States. The guy hated 
Catholics, the guy hated Jews, the guy hated black people, but goddamn, he lowered the cost of the, the federal co- the federal price of the stamp. He he lowered the stamp, you know. You know I just think that we need to lower the stamps, you know. We got to we got to lower stamps in in this country. It's just too expensive, you know. Uh, but 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 you know, the Catholics and the Jews and the blacks, we got to get rid of them. I'm kind of doing a half Bernie Sanders, half Jesse Ventura voice, aren't I? But um, you know, that's the that's the problem, you know. So Millard Fillmore lowered the ta- lowered the cost of the stamp. Now, he did a lot of good stuff. You go back to Buffalo where he was. He was chancellor from the University of Buffalo, I think, for like 30 years or something. He did a lot of good, and he did some other good works in the Buffalo area. So you could see success like that. As president, abysmal failure. You know, he lowered the stamp. Yay. Um, but he did all these other stuff. So you could say, well, Fidel Castro, he helped raise the literacy rate in Cuba. Well, that's a good thing. Everything else sucks. Well, I mean, but he also, um, he, he paid for, he's got covered uh, education. And there's a side thing. Here's the funny thing about how things uh, – he got l- lucky by doing some horrible crap that was able to work out. And here's what I mean by that. When he took over Cuba, he isolated the island. He made it cut off from the rest of the world with the exception of some cases such as like East Germany where he literally gave away a Cuban island to the East German government and named it after the, he- the former head of the German Communist – the East German Communist Party, Ernst Thalmann. Look it up, Ernst Thalmann Island. To this day, it was given away by Cuba to East Germany and when East Germany rejoined with West Germany to become the Federal Republic of Germany, they didn't include the island. So technically, East Germany lives on. If you you want to defeat a country, everybody, you go to Ernst Thalmann Island, you go plant your flag or plant the flag of your state or your country and you just defeated East Germany. Congratulations, you're a war hero, you know. Just make sure you, you stub your toe on something so you can give yourself a purple heart while you're out there in the war zone. Uh, but that's a way to do it, you know. Um, but he isolated. He, the people were cut off. They couldn't leave Cuba. That's why we heard about those two mass exoduses that happened under him. Um, stop it. Um... Oh my god. Shut up! Jesus. Sorry everybody. Did not plan this out, but freaking Angela wants to call in a, a, a political show, dude. Not wrestling. Yeah, this is really going well for me. Apologies. Oh, well, there you go. I just gave him the link so he can listen in. Um, uh, maybe I'll call. I'll have Angelo call in later on. That'll be some fun. Um, you know, it's like now. Look, look at this. Yeah, I love uh, Luke Birch. He points out now there has been a Catholic president, JFK, a black president, Obama. Come next year, you'll have a Jewish president. He's thinking if Bernie were to win, Fillmore would hate this modern world. Oh, I have no problem saying that. Yes, he. Uh, he definitely would hate life right now uh, just by those two things, you know. But in any case, I digress. Um, stupid ringtone. But <sighs> losing my train of thought. God damn it, Angelo. So I'm trying to be professional, and this is screwing me up. Um, <laughs> so, but like, anyway, going back, uh, you can. So Fidel Castro could do a couple of good things. Anyway, so this is what I'm saying. He isolated the, the island, and he cut them off from going onto the outside world. He allowed important people to come to 
Cuba in some ways, but for the most part, they were cut off. But what he did was he got all this money from the Soviet Union, and they always made a constant thorn in us on our side for the U.S. because Cuba's only 90 miles away from Florida, and we always had the worry of, okay, they could attack at any point and use Cuba as a hub. That was the whole point of why they were sending the missiles to Cuba, you know. So he was getting all this money, and what did he do with that? He funded the medical system, and he funded the education system to where now they're covered and they're where people – are uh, you know are able to get college all the way to a master's degree for free and um and um 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 oh my god free healthcare now that sounds kind of good but remember the money came from the Soviet Union and then here's the funny thing when the Soviet Union collapsed he didn't get that money anymore so what did he had to do he had to open Cuba up to the world and now people can come visit Cuba and the fact is the Cuban currency is so worthless. Uh, that the reason why they actually are thriving is because of the people that travel to Cuba and spend maybe U.S. dollars. They spend Canadian dollars. They spend U.K. pounds. They spend euro. You know, they spend other money that's worth a lot more, and it vitalizes their economy and everything going on. The the, the and he uses that money to still pay for education and healthcare. Now someone's gonna say, well, that's a good thing. Remember, the only the only reasons this happened, he cut off Cuba from the world, and he. Um, took money from the Soviet Union. That's why education and healthcare was covered in the socialist way. Was because the Soviet Union gave him the money. Um, and then the and then when the Soviet Union fell, he had to reluctantly open Cuba to the world. He had to reluctantly open it up against his plan and wishes and his mindset for his former politics and society was that's how he's able to continue it on because he knew that if they took away the education and the health care that there would be an overthrow because people got accustomed to it because they got it for free because of money that they got that was ta- that was given to them by a brutal leadership i.e. the Soviet Union you know so the fact that these things are covered now is only because of the fact of his, his he had to change his doctrine you know what I mean his doctrine is what changed all of it I mean their currency is the Cuban peso and it is worthless. Like, the, like the, the, some of the best jobs there's – a, there's a joke I learned this one from a professor who actually got approved by the State Department a couple of times to go to Cuba for educational purposes. And uh, he made a joke. He said that a woman was married to a taxi driver, and she decided to divorce him after 20 years because she found out he was only a doctor. Because in Cuba and their the, the whole thing, they don't get paid a lot of money in the in the communist regime. A lot of people don't make a lot of money, and doctors don't make a lot of money at all, you know. And so, but cab drivers actually can make a lot more for two reasons. One, they get paid by a lot of foreign tourists that don't use the Cuban peso. They'll accept the British pound, the the euro, and the Canadian, Australian, and U.S. dollars. I guarantee they'll accept other currencies as well. But I'm just naming off the big five. Mm. Ah, delicious. But um, And they make more money because of that, because they're getting paid in a dollar. I mean, just the exchange rate and the cost of living. Let's go to uh, my trusted website that I go to, xe.com. This is a, the best currency converting system. By the way, side note, they also do the uh, – shout these guys out. They also do the value of uh, the four precious metals that are considered currency-based, which is uh, gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. So let's um, let's find Cuba and uh, we'll do the Cuban convertible peso. And we the cost of $1 is how many Cuban pesos? And that comes out to – it's considered one equal. So it's they base the Cuban convertible peso – off the U.S. dollar. But now we go to the regular peso, 
the normal Cuban peso, and that will come out to where are we at? Uh, okay, right there, twenty six and a half pesos. One dollar equals twenty six and a half pesos. Okay, so the, their economy. Now you got some places where the money is so low like that, but then the cost of living is low as well in a good way. I mean, the amount of money from my pension alone, I could retire to Ecuador when I took a trip to Ecuador. Oh my God, seven years ago uh, next month. Um, my God, it's been that long. And, um, uh, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm losing my train of thought. Uh, we went there and the cost of living was so low that with my pension at the time, which has since gone up a few hundred bucks a month, uh, since then, at the time I could live kinda comfortably. I wouldn't need to do too much to have too much more money needed to live really good. Now with the amount of money I got, I could live completely fine down there. You know, but in Cuba, the peso is worth, but at the same time, part of the reason is because Ecuador does not have its own money. Its currency was so worthless that in like 99, 2000, something like that is when they switched over to the US dollar, okay? And it was right before, it was right before that, their money was so worthless. One of our professors was from Ecuador and he pointed out that people would use lug nuts and bolts as money. As change, because the value in the metal on those was worth more than their own money. It was that pathetic in Ecuador. So the reason why they do so well, and the reason why I could live so decently over there in that country, and I was over there, and there's some nice parts and everything, but a lot of bad parts too. God, um, it was it was a shame. There's so much history in that capital city, but um, it was because of the fact that the U.S. dollar is what they use. So. Like when I was over there, for example, I mean, we, I bought breakfast for everybody one day and it was 12 of us. It cost, I, we got like croissants and like breakfast bagels with eggs and cheese and stuff, sausages, a couple of different things. It wasn't like a full platter, but you know, breakfast sandwiches, stuff like that. And, um, the, the, what do you, what was it? I, it cost like maybe 20 bucks for me to pay for everybody. You know, it was a steal. But at the, but remember, that's because we, they use the US dollar and they love the US dollar because of the value it holds. Now, the same thing would be said for Australia. If they would have accepted Australian dollars as their main form of currency, then um, that would be going great as well. You know, and Luke says, isn't it the same for Zimbabwe? Zimbabwe, their money got so worthless, they had the $100 trillion bill. They have since reset their money, and uh, now it's at a different pegging level. Um, uh, what is it pegged at? There we go. Uh, look at that. They still actually list up Keynesian rubles on this thing. I didn't realize that. Uh, okay, right there. One dollar equals 361.9 Zimbabwean dollars. So 362 dollars in Zimbabwean money. You know, um, so you can, you can have the same effect, but the question is how much do they utilize and in, embrace the dollar? The U.S. dollar is what I'm saying over there. You know, so, but that's the big problem with Cuba and everything going on. So Bernie wants to try to say these, you know, yeah, was it uh, th these claims and everything? The, here's the fact: Cuba's best things only work because of one, a brutal deal, and then follow it up with a change of doctrine. Which, a, which a change of doctrine is great. A change of doctrine can be can be completely great, uh, depending on how it goes. But the fact that it's a reluctant change of doctrine, you know, that's that's the problem. Now you can have you have politicians and you have leaders who change their mindset over time. You know, uh, Lucas from the UK. I don't know if he remembers too much the 1952 Great Smog of London, which actually killed up to, as some estimates claim, up to 12,000 people, including with illnesses and stuff. Um, you know, when it first was coming in, Winston Churchill. Uh, who to me is the greatest politician in the history of the world. Um, there's a reason why my final thesis was on Churchill. 
uh, for my degree. Um, Churchill just didn't want to do anything about it to him. It's fog, you know, you know, fog comes in and it goes, you know, what was the saying? When it's too, when it's too sunny, they call it a drought. When it's, uh, when it's, when it's raining too much, they call it, uh, a flood or something like that. And when they call it, when we have fog, you know, um, it's, uh, people are going to call it a crisis. And so, but he finally changed after like the third day or so. And, um, you know, he realized how it was and he made a great speech about seeing, you know, it was said that like an, one of his, uh, aides who worked in his office died, got hit by a vehicle. And that kind of helped put into this perspective because he also saw how everybody was doing at the hospital and taking care of people and treating them. And he considered such an act of courage and he focused money to be utilized to, um, to help fund the hospitals for more pay for the staffers and more pay for equipment. And he pushed initiatives for a better clean air, which led to, after he left office, the 1956 Clear Air Act. And then we had one of our own, I think, in 1962 or 63 here in the U.S. And um, so, you know, he, he changed his mindset like that. Um, that was over a short time. I mean, he had that mind clearly beforehand. And the fog was only up to three days by the time, um, you know, he changed his mind like that. But... That that's something you can change your mindset like that. The fact that Fidel was able to continue funding education and healthcare because he had to reluctantly open the country up—that's not a small form of ideology, everybody. That's a big item for you to say that you're going to change, and that's a big item for you, for a doctrine. You literally, literally cut the the country off from the rest of the world. Yes, he maintained diplomatic contacts, and he'd have some foreign and prominent people from some countries like the USSR and etc come to Cuba but that doesn't count we're talking about everyday people you know the the we have an ambassador or a charge affairs that can actually go into North Korea it's not that easy for an american to go to north korea i mean it's possible clearly i've seen some videos but it's not that easy um Iran. How many Americans actually go to Iran? How many common folk go to Iran? It's not impossible, but it's not probable, you know. So that's that's the kind of mindset I'm trying to explain. You know, um, it's. It, but when you're prominent, you you have better odds. So just because he allowed Soviet, he probably had a they they probably had some kind of deal to get a lot of Soviet citizens to come Cuba over the years because it helped make them look better. It's like, oh, hey, we can set up a tourist industry and everything, you know? It's one of those things. Like, when I was in the, when I was in Iraq, we had, um, we had, um, uh, listen, Jesus, listen in, and I'll call you in later. Jesus, I'm trying to maintain my, my thought process. <laughs> Ugh. But, um, yeah, no, that's the, that's the deal. So, it, they probably brought in some Soviet personnel so that way they could show, hey, we got a vibrant tourist industry like that on some things, but it was still limited, and the people of Cuba couldn't leave. It's the same as the whole stuff with North Korea. Like, North Korea will not let their people leave the country, you know what I mean? And that could be a real problem. Uh, Jesus. He's like, hey, uh, I'm trying to turn these notifications off, and they're still doing this. Come on. This is pathetic. There we go. Jesus.
Okay. Hopefully that's good. Probably not. <laughs> but um, in any such case, uh, we should probably move on because I've been spending too much time talking about that. Let's get into the Electoral College. So at the very beginning of this uh, clip, and if you guys didn't listen into this, I'm going to have this uh, episode uploaded. Oh, no, before the Electoral College, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's talk about it. I mentioned this at the very beginning. Kirk Douglas. Um, Kirk Douglas, you know, the, the famous actor, and um, this guy's done a lot of philanthropy over the years. Michael Douglas, if you guys love his acting, he's the... Kirk Douglas's son. Uh, Kirk Douglas had a fortune of $61 million and he's donated most of it to charity and actually didn't give any to his son. Now, keep in mind, Michael Douglas is a rich man, so he's not hurting. Uh, but Kirk Douglas decided that he was going to do this. Uh, he passed away earlier this month at the age of 103. God bless that man. I mean, we could all wish we could, we could live to be that age, you know? Uh, I mean, think about it. George Washington died at the age of, what was it, 66, 67. You know, and this guy is able to live to 103, which one that says how good he had the health ca the health coverage he had. God bless America for that. Um, but yeah, he wanted 50 million dollars of his uh, estate um, given away via the Douglas Foundation. The beneficiaries include St. Louis University, Westwood Sinai Temple, Culver City's Kirk Douglas Theater, and the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. Um, Michael Douglas, 75 years old, is not a beneficiary of uh, of the trust. And uh, let's see if it lists some of the other items, you know. Um, the fact that he gave this kind of money away is a great deal. You know, this this actually goes back to there's a lot of rich people that actually love giving money away. I got the clip about the – you guys – I recommend watching The Men Who Built America. And it talks about the days of Cornelius Vanderbilt, uh, John D. Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, Henry Ford, and the genius mindsets behind Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla. And – you know, a lot of these rich guys, you know, and they interviewed a lot of philanthropists. I mean, a, a lot of businessmen as well. They interviewed in, for this show Donald Trump. They interviewed Mark Cuban, uh, Paul Greengrass, uh, Steve Wozniak. They, they, Carly Fiorina, you know, for Hewlett Packard. They got a lot of major business persons as well talking about this stuff. And one of the things that was pointed out, you know, by both Trump and Cuban and Maybe green? No, I don't think green grass. Somebody else is like they, they all pointed out they love making money, but they also love giving money away. And you look back at the same thing. John D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie had that mindset. J.P. Morgan had that mindset. J.P. Morgan, I don't know how much money he gave away to the people, but at one point the U.S. government was in dire need. They were in uh, severe distress, and he gave them a loan and didn't really ask for it too much of it back. You know, he really didn't. He was a patriot. He he was raised and believed the mindset of helping your country and stuff like that. You know, and he did and he did uh, great work like that. After J.P. Morgan died, John D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie, who already did do stuff. You know, Andrew Carnegie after the the Johnstown incident, uh, he funded a lot of stuff for his biggest passions, which were theater and libraries. He loved libraries. You know, he loved the concept of learning much more. You know, this was a small plebeian boy from Scotland who grew up in uh, Pittsburgh and uh, was able to work his way up because he played as the young paper boy and uh, errand boy and then, you know, associate of Tom Scott who ran the Pennsylvania Railroad. You know, and so he got very much into philanthropy early on, and then him and John D. Rockefeller did even more of it after J.P. Morgan died, and they gave away so much money. It became less of the concept of who has more money and more the concept of who can give away more money, which ironically, uh, where Rockefeller had more money than Carne Carnegie most of his life until Carnegie sold uh, 
Carnegie Steel to J.P. Morgan, who merged it with all his stuff and made it into what's now U.S. Steel. Um, you know what I mean? And uh, he, it, what was it? Uh, at that point, because he sold it, he actually became the richest man in the in the planet, or at least in the United States. I think in the planet, yeah. And that was for Carnegie for a short time. Uh, but then eventually John D. Rockefeller did make more money, and even after the breakup of Standard Oil in the big monopoly case, uh, he ended up being richer because he owned shares in all 34 breakoff companies, which included Exxon, Mobil, and Chevron. You know, they all came from uh, – they all were branches of the former conglomerate that was Standard Oil owned, uh, owned under John D. Rockefeller. And when Carnegie died, John D. Rockefeller lived another 14 years and kept giving away money, so he even beat him in that, you know. So the constant deal of giving away money. So this whole thing with Kirk Douglas, I mean, it just makes sense like that. I mean, this guy, the guy loved helping out on a lot of things. The guy was a philanthropist in some ways. I say it some ways like that because you'll have people like, look at Prince. Prince could meet the requirements of being a philanthropist. He did a lot of good things, but he did it in secrecy. It wasn't as well known, you know. Now, I mean, of course, you got the Kirk Douglas Theater and it's named out to Kirk Douglas, so there's known like that. But it doesn't mean the guy can't be qualified as a, as a philanthropist. You know, sometimes these guys do a lot of good things, but they're not known for it because they don't want it to be known. You know, I do subscribe to the mindset like Prince where you, you do good deeds for people, but you don't try to get the publicity or the praise for it. You just do it, you know. And uh, Kirk Douglas, in many ways, was like that as well. In other ways, it was obvious. I mean, when you have the Douglas Foundation, it's obvious. But that doesn't mean there's any any discredit for it. Far from it. You know what I mean? And so much praise to him. May he rest in peace and uh, greatness for that right there. You know, And that goes into, you know, there's, there's been, always been the whole argument when it comes to the idea of heightened taxes is because it helps out for people like this and cases like that and good causes. But the thing is, is that, you know, my argument is don't force it upon us. Let us do it how we're wanting to. And what's me meant like that, because it was the argument, there was a woman who went on to Fox News with Tucker Carlson and had that long debate because she pointed out how her and her family, they donate to a lot of good causes, which is great. And that's, that's literally awesome. That's legitimately awesome to hear. But if we're raising taxes, then we're funded for things that we don't want funded and we're not able to help out with the causes we do want to help out, you know? So let us have that freedom to spend our money how we want it. You know, we earned it. Um, but like the, and the idea, like imagine Kirk Douglas could not have donated all this money in that fashion had we had the heightened taxes, you know what I mean? So, but I'm digressing. So now we're going to get into the topic. Um, let's see. Apologies, I'm trying to finish this uh, message back to Angelo. That's, Jesus. That's why I'm not taking calls at the moment. said to this is really killing the the uh vibe apologies okay got that covered so now let's get into the the topic the electoral college okay so at the top of the show hang on yeah it's okay probably gotta make microwave that I took a mix of uh, hot cocoa mix I got from a British MRE that I got uh, back in 2009. Yes, I mean how that sounds. And I don't even know how old this 
the MR, the British MRE, I guarantee, is even uh, much older than that. They call them operational rations packs, ORPs. Uh, the cocoa's okay. Probably would have been better if I used milk, obviously. But whatever. I don't have any milk, so I used water. So, bleh. Um, delicious. Hmm. Anyway, I digress. The Electoral College. What is Das Electoral College? The Electoral College is pretty simple. People vote across this, the country uh, in their states, and then the Electoral College is set up to be a number of delegates who represent each state based on the population and based on by the, the amount of representation in Congress, i.e. the House of Representatives and the Senate. Um, so it's technically not one big election like how a popular vote is, and it's actually 50 divided elections, 51 because of D.C., uh, 51 separate elections. Uh, that combine will determine the president of the United States. Now, there's been the growing cons uh, uh, people pissed off about it because Donald Trump won the presidency not by getting the popular vote, but by getting the Electoral College. And that's happened five times in history. It happened to George Bush, happened to, uh, I believe, John Quincy Adams over Andrew Jackson in the 1824 election, happened to Rutherford B. Hayes in the 1876 election, and I can never remember what the fifth one was. Jesus. Um Elections where winner did. There we go. There's been, I believe, five of them. So, yeah, there's the Rutherford B. Hayes incident, uh, Jackson and Quincy, Benjamin Harrison over Grover Cleveland. Uh, uh, yeah, Grover, uh, that was the 1888 election. Uh, that, that was fun. Benjamin Harrison defeated Grover Cleveland. Cleveland won the popular vote by 0.8%, which was just under 100,000 more votes. But because Benjamin Harrison got more electoral votes, and that was by a lot, um, he carried two more states than Cleveland. And literally by winning Pennsylvania was the difference. Um, well, no, wait a minute. If he won, if he lost Pennsylvania, he'd be down to 203. That would put Cleveland at 198. So it'd still be a five vote difference. So literally, if he had lost Pennsylvania and Nebraska, then Cleveland would have stayed as president. But then at the same time, remember Grover Cleveland as well is the, um, is the only president ever to serve two non-consecutive terms. Benjamin Harrison didn't do a good enough job that Cleveland was able to make a comeback and in the 1892 election, including a third-party candidate, i.e. James Weaver from the Populist Party, Cleveland was able to defeat Benjamin Harrison and um, and win the election with even more electoral votes than what Harrison had uh, back in the previous election. Now, granted, we had a few more states after uh, since then, uh, i.e. places like Idaho and um, Wyoming and Montana, and uh, Washington State, for example. So, but so people complain about that. How is that fair? How is it fair that we have an electoral college that the p person could lose the the popular vote? Well, here's the biggest reason. And I used to be someone who didn't like the the, the electoral college either. I thought it made no sense. I have actually come to understand it more, respect it, and endorse it. And here's the reason why. You know, I got some people listening to this show that I know are from across the map. Um, I got a buddy right now who's listening and who's from New York. I got a buddy listening right now who's from Wisconsin. I'm a native of New York and I live in Florida. Okay. I got a guy listening in that I know who's listening in because he's a turd. Um, and he lives in Tennessee. So I want you to picture this. Picture your buddies from a neighboring state. 
Seriously, think about your friends that you have from a neighboring state. So if from New York, picture if you got any friends from any of the New England states or Pennsylvania or Jersey. Uh, Wisconsin, picture your buddies uh, if you got from Minnesota or Illinois or across the water, New Michigan. Okay? Me, I live in Florida. Okay, let's think about I got some friends who live in Alabama and Georgia, you know. And uh, Tennessee, there's a number of states. Now think about that. Think about the cons, the, the 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 difference in in the people. You know, we have differences of people in a single state. I mean, my buddy who lives in New York lives in the southern part of upstate New York, and I grew up in Long Island. But he and I are going to be different in ways uh, because uh, and talking about how we lived and grew up as well. Um, and we're both different compared to those who grew up in Syracuse or Albany or Buffalo. You know, that's different regions of a single state. Now let's think about that, the same concept with different states in the same country. You know, there's, um, it, it, we got these different, we got these different cultures going on within the United States. And that is a big deal. You know, that, that's what the whole point of the Electoral College is because each state is different. Now, we'll have large states. That will hold a lot of power. I mean, uh, name off the big six. California, Texas, Florida, New York, Illinois, and Pennsylvania. No, Pennsylvania and Illinois now. <laughs> uh, yeah, that still surprised me. Illinois is down to the sixth largest. Go figure. Third largest city in the country, sixth largest state. Because Pennsylvania outdid them now. Um, the cultures are completely different. I mean, uh, uh, the only ones that border out of those six are New York and Pennsylvania. And look at the concept of those. Now, you got a lot of people who live in western New York and in northwestern Pennsylvania that probably are very similar to each other. But on the whole, a Pennsylvanian is different from a New Yorker. A Floridian is different from an Illini. A Californian is different from a Texan. And that's just talking the big six states. Now, if we go off of the popular vote, here's the interesting thing. I pointed this out. Look at the amount of the popular vote that Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump by. Now look at the amount of people that Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump in California. Here's the big deal. Here's the reason why the Electoral College is something. Because if you look at the numbers, the amount of people that Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump by in California, she beat, she beat Donald Trump by less than 3 million votes, uh, voters. Uh, which is not nothing. That, that's clearly a lot. I mean, obviously, you know, so I'm not undercutting that. But now look at this. Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump in California. Donald Trump got 4,483,000 votes. Hillary Clinton got 8,753,000 votes. She beat Trump by over 4 million votes. The difference between their votes in California was larger than the amount of votes that they got across the country. Overall, and what's significant about that? That means you could take every single vote that Hillary beat Trump by, all of them plus one more, minus that from Hillary Clinton, you know, um, and so Donald Trump beats her by one uh, popular vote, like literally by one vote. You take that number and you and you minus it out of the her 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 numbers in California. She still beats Trump by over a million votes in California alone. Okay, so that's where the Electoral College comes into play, because literally their difference is less than the difference in a single state. The point of the Electoral College is because every state is different. Look, look at Pacific Coast for itself. You got five states. You got out in the Pacific, Hawaii, 
on the Pacific Coast, you got Alaska, Washington, Oregon, California. Now, Northern California and Southern Oregon are a lot alike. In fact, that's why they tried to become a different state back in 1941. They were trying to set up the state of Jefferson. Uh, and it was supposed to happen, but then Pearl Harbor happened. So that kind of went out the window, you know. Um, but the main crux of Oregon that people think about, Eugene and Salem and Portland, very much different from the rest of their state. But also, while it's very liberal, it's even it's more liberal in parts of Washington State. It's progressive. And there's parts of progressive Seattle as well that's like Gorgeless as well. But like the cultures – Oregon and Washington, two liberal states, you know, are very different. You know, they, they, they do have a lot of similarities. Same as Mississippi and Alabama. You know what I mean? Mississippi and Alabama have a lot of similarities. Uh, Kansas and Nebraska have a lot of similarities. You know, um, Ohio and Indiana, to an extent, have some similarities. Michigan and Wisconsin, separated by water, have a lot of similarities. But the whole of the country is not similar. And they're not the exact same. So the whole point of the popular vote is that the point is that you're not you are the president of the United States. So, you know, see that right there. Luke pulled out the numbers. She beat Trump in nationally by two point eight million votes in California. She beat him by four point two million votes. So literally you could take every vote that she beat Trump by plus one more negate it from what she beat Trump by in California and he still loses to her in California by 1.4 million votes roughly you know I'm not doing the math <laughs> but roughly 1.4 million votes you know think about that that's what I'm trying to get at so the, that means that the map stays the exact same that means that every single state that Trump won Trump won every single state Hillary won Hillary won and here's the thing Trump beat her he got 304 electoral votes there was Let's see, you got four in Washington, one in Hawaii, two in Texas that were outlying faithless electors is what they called, seven of them. Okay, let's say all seven, the fourth in Washington that were faithless electors, we put them to Hillary. She gets 231 electoral votes. Take the one from Hawaii, that puts it to her, 232 electoral votes, okay? So she gets five of them. Trump gets two of them. That puts him at 306. 306 to 232. That's a difference of 72 votes. Okay? 72 electoral votes. So what does that mean? That means that Trump could lose Pennsylvania and Florida. That's 49. So 72. Yeah. So it's 72, 49, 50, 23. That, that's a difference of 23. So he could lose Pennsylvania and Florida. Um, and Michigan, my God, that was even bigger distance than I thought. He could lose Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and then South Dakota and tie her at the total number then if all the faithless electors went away the way they states, you know, that would mean it would be a tie and it would go to Congress. He'd have to lose those four states, three big, big states, Pennsylvania and Florida being in the top six, Michigan at 16 is not too far away. And then we add one small number of three vote state. And that's, uh, I just threw in South Dakota because just why not, you know, and there you go. Now we've evened out. And so that's where you got to see these differences going on with these electoral colleges is that the whole point is this Trump won 30 states. Hillary won 20. 
So the fact that Trump, right there, I just pointed out four states. You could take those four states, give them to Hillary. Trump would still have 26 states. Hillary would have 24 states. And it would be a tie. Okay? It would be a tie at that point between by, by giving up those four states. Trump beat her by by um, by nine uh, contests because she also won Washington, D.C., you know. So instead of 50, it's 51 because of D.C. Not knocking him, just pointing out the math, you know. But he won. Um, he won 10 more states than her. You want to count D.C.? He won by nine, okay? And in fact, if you were to give the four states over, it'd be 26-25, including D.C. So he won majority of the states. Every state's got a different culture, and that's why the importance is of the Electoral College, because there's a significance of this because of the culture's all being different. That way it's not one state uh, representing. So here's the way the numbers are based off of. You take the amount of congressmen, congresswomen that an individual state has, and then you add two for the two senators. That's how the representation in Congress is because it's a total of 538 votes. Um, it's 535 for Congress, but then they added three for Washington, D.C. because uh, – because of it's being Washington, D.C., and then a state, they don't have representation in Congress. I mean, they have a delegate, but it's a non-voting delegate. That's Eleanor Norton Holmes. She's held that office since, God, what, like the 90s? Um, you know, so they added three for D.C. for the presidential election. Okay. And so it's 530. So you take the three for D.C. like that, add it on top of the 535 for Congress, and that's how you get the total. Um, you know, that's how you get the total for, uh, um, what do you call it? for the electoral votes. And so that's why California has 55 and Florida has 29 and Pennsylvania has 20. Michigan has 16. South Dakota has three. You know, I just threw in California being the biggest one, but then I also threw in the four states that I mentioned if Trump could lose and still equal 269-269 deal. Now, every single state has a different culture. You look at Georgia, and there's a lot of wonderful beauty about Georgia. I love Georgia. I really do. South Georgia and North Georgia, similar on some ways different from other, because in South Georgia, it's kind of hilly, but it's mostly a flatlands kind of deal in some ways, shape, or form, especially when you compare it to North Georgia, which is very mountainous because they got the southern part of the Tennessee Valley. But then you got the ATL, Atlanta, completely different from the rest of Georgia. I've been in Atlanta hate Atlanta. Oh, I hate that city. Ugh. But, um, yeah, that's just one state in the culture. So now you look at the overall culture of Georgia, and it's different from Florida. Georgia is a very southern style, southern hospitality, good folk kind of state. I love that state. But then you add the ATL, very urbanized, African-American, uh, um, I don't know if it's an African-American majority, but definitely African-American significance in the population. Uh, now, there's nothing wrong with that. But now I'm painting the picture of how Georgia is compared to Florida. Florida is very Hispanic, very redneckish. You know, the northern half is uh, is definitely the southern style of Florida. But then the southern half of Florida is Hispanic. The joke is South Florida is called North Cuba. You know, and now we got Orlando, which has got a significant um, Puerto Rican population due to the... Uh, Due to the uh, the storms and, and that's happened in uh, Puerto Rico the last couple of years, uh, and Puerto Ricans are all over the country, uh, all over the state of Florida. But Orlando, they're making a main hub, the Orlando area. So um, that's two border states. 
One's got a very significant African-American population. One's got a very significant Hispanic population. You go to Alabama. Parts of Birmingham and Montgomery have a significant African-American population. Um, and there is a lot of African-American. The, the old uh, the Bible Belt is also the Black Belt, going from South Carolina over to Louisiana, those five states, you know, is considered the Black Belt. Uh, also the Bible Belt, like I said. Um, but overall, the population of minorities in Alabama is overall a lot less when you compare to Georgia and Florida. And these three states border each other. The cultures are different in many ways. Yeah, we got the Florabama region, which is western Florida and southern Alabama. That's the Florabama, yeah. But it's not the Florabama region does not outright determine the culture for the rest of Alabama and it certainly does not determine the rest of the culture for the state of Florida. You know, North Dakota and South Dakota have in many ways a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences too in their culture. Idaho has a lot of, Southern Idaho has a lot of Mormons just like in Utah. So there's a significant of similarities between those two states, but Idaho and Utah are very different. Now they're nice hospitable places. They're very mountainous. They got a lot of winter. You know, so there's stuff like that as well, but they're still different. People from Boise and people from Salt Lake are different from one another. Uh, look, look at our, look at Chicago. Chicago borders, uh, Chicago is different from the rest of Illinois for the most part, but now you look, Chicago borders Gary, Indiana. And Gary, Indiana has got a metropolis feel to it because it borders Chicago and it's got a big population, but Gary, Indiana is different from Chicago. And then, Gary, Indiana is different from a lot of parts of Indiana, but Indiana is overall different from Chicago and Illinois. That's why the whole point is of these electoral college and why it's important and why it's significant because it goes off of the concept of people voting for their state, people voting for their president, and the fact that the states have this power, this control. Because the concept is you're supposed to be winning over the individual states as well. You can't just focus on a couple of places. If we were to go off the popular vote, what's going to be the significance? Um, Democrats are going to focus in California and try to get every last vote possible out of L.A., San Diego, Sacramento, San Francisco. Um, You know, they're going to maybe go to... Denver and do some work there. Denver, I mean, Colorado is a swing state, so there's that. But they're going to focus on the populated states and populated cities. They're going to go. I mean, the, the candidates will go to, to Texas and go to Houston and Dallas and San Antonio and and uh, uh, Dallas and Houston. What am I missing? Austin, maybe the city, the state capital, maybe. Uh, they're going to go to New York City. They're going to go to Chicago, my Jacksonville, and Miami. They're not going to care about the rural people. They're going to only care about the city folk, you know. And that's why the popular vote is not good in our concept. Look at the United Kingdom, for example. The United Kingdom, and I'm saying this because I, I got one of my boys, Luke, listening in. The United Kingdom has not, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom is not going to be a Scottish politician. It's not going to be a Welsh politician. The, the the closest thing they had was Gordon Brown, who was born in Scotland, but basically raised in England. He's a Scottish-born Englishman, okay? Um, that's what it is, you know? You're not going to, we're not going to see anytime soon a Scottish Prime Minister. They have a Scottish, and someone's going to say, well, they got the First Minister for Scotland. Yeah, but that's just in Scotland. Prime Minister is not just the Prime Minister for England, they're the Prime Minister for the entire United Kingdom. So, Northern Ireland, and uh, England and Wales and Scotland 
and I don't know how much power they hold over like the British Crown dependencies like the Isle of Man and uh, the Ballywicks of Jersey and Guernsey. Um, I know they got their own lieutenant governors, but I don't know if the prime minister can have any say. You know what I mean? Um, and here's the thing. Now, Luke has pointed out because I, I made this clip at the very beginning. You know, he says when the NPVIC is passed, then you will have popular vote elections and people will fight that. You know, the NPVIC, it's, they're not going to get the number of, I don't think they're going to be able to pull off that number of states. They need to get 270 electoral votes and they'll get close, but it's not going to happen. And especially people are going to fight it because it's in the constitution. They can pull this compact and it can take some effect, but then they're going to take it to courts and then it's going to be held up until the point of, you know, they'll have to try to pull off a constitutional convention or just Congress trying to do it. And you're not going to get 38 states to ratify it, you know? Um, these states could try to pull it off, uh, but they'll be able to fight it. And the fact is we shouldn't have a popular vote. We have a popular vote. It's the popular vote of each state because now each state is the significance because it maintains support for the smaller states. The, the people who argue against the Electoral College and say, ah, oh, it doesn't help out the smaller states, it only helps out a few states. No, it actually makes every single state important and it maintains it. Who are the Delawareans? want as president who are the north dakotans wanting as president who do the montanans want as president then we can go up to the big stuff who does who does florida want as president if we go off of the popular vote hillary clinton in 2016 beats donald trump just because she got much more votes in california that's the deal one state that's why, like, you know, you have some politicians who are really worried about the idea of this whole Cal Exit deal, uh, like Nancy Pelosi and other California politicians, because they would rather hold the power that they have in Congress of the United States than to possibly be the president or the vice president or the speaker of the House of the California Republic. You know, they want to maintain as much power because California is the crown jewel in this country when it comes to politics. Now, they're about to lose it in many ways. Um, it's fully constitution states on bound to give their electoral votes to the winner of their state elections. There will be no constitutional grounds. Actually, that's not true. The fact is the, the constitution, our country has set up the electoral college. So therefore that's how it is. Now there is a way to do proportion base. You look at how it is. The con for example, look at Nevada and not Nevada. Oh my God. Look at Nebraska and Maine. Nebraska and Maine have it set up. Whoever wins the popular vote in those states, wins the two electoral votes equal to their senators. But then it's also based off of who wins each congressional district. So Nebraska tends to go all Republican, but there's the... Is it the second or the third congressional district that's, bas that's basically Omaha? That has a chance of going Democratic. In Maine, one congressional district and the popular vote will go Democrat. But is the I think it's the second congressional district goes Republican, and that's why Donald Trump got the one electoral vote out of Maine because um, they do it split like that. But there is a lot of stuff going that the electoral college is still inbound, you know. So we have the electoral college, and people will fight like that. And I mean, because here's the thing: if it wasn't bound like that, why is it that the states that currently have already announced that they'll do it, why can't it take effect immediately? Why is it it's got to wait till 270 before this compact could actually have some kind of effect? You know, and trust me, that's the last thing I want to see happen. Is because we need to have, um, you know, like. No, but here's the thing, though: Luke saying no, this no state is legally bound to give the electoral votes to the person who wins the state. That's why we have faithless electors. Actually, that's why a lot of states have faithless elector laws, which is why 
a number of the faithless electors had to pay fines. A lot of states have a fine where you vote for whoever you want as a faithless elector and you got to pay like a $1,000, $5,000 fine. So it's actually considered an offense and everything. Now you can't get jail time, but it is a fine and it is a charge and everything that goes like that. So it's not going to show up like a criminal record, but it's up like that. But then again, hey, I got a, I got a speeding ticket on my on me. It doesn't show up as a criminal record. It's an infraction. And you'll pull up on a background check, but it doesn't count as a criminal record. You know what I mean? So, trust me. And the thing is, we need to make laws that actually ban the faithless electors. You know, however the state goes, that's how it is. And we, anybody that wants the popular vote is, honestly, I'd say this. It's not, you're not informed properly on the process on this and understand the concept. And the fact is, if we do the popular vote, the presidency is not based on the United States. It's based on California. I just pointed that out. California, the difference that Hillary beat Trump by is more than the national difference. So it literally goes off with the idea of who becomes the president of California. Because all these people, you know, you know, Luke's saying now it won't take effect until 270 sign up because they, until they control the college, there is no point one state swimming against the tide for the greater good. Um, but here's the, here's the funny thing. But, but, but you know why the other arguments like that is because the fact is they actually fear you know, there's the, definitely the looks that Donald Trump's going to beat Bernie Sanders or whoever's the Democratic candidate. So here's the deal. Like you're saying, like the idea of just one person for the greater good swimming against the tide. It's because now you got states like Maryland and Virginia that have signed. I don't know if Virginia has passed the, it passed the House, I think, but not the Senate yet. Uh, but like you got states like Washington and Maryland. So watch this. If Donald Trump wins the popular vote under this concept why don't they give their popular vote uh, their electoral votes to him they're not going to do that no they're going to make the argument oh well we haven't hit 270 yet but 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 you've signed it do it they're not going to do it of course not you know they're not going to be brave enough to say oh well we stand out by our beliefs so we're going to do this you know and i guarantee the second that you have a presidential candidate like a republican that wins the election with the popular vote um after this whole thing takes effect they're going to be mad and they're going to want to go back to the electoral college system you know that's going to be the funny deal about it. So, um, I mean, and we look at the, we look at this. Here's the funny thing. Though, like I point out the, the amount of states. You know, now look at this. In 2012, Barack Obama defeated Mitt Romney. He got the popular vote. He got the electoral vote. And he got the majority of states. Mitt Romney won 24 states. Obama won 26 plus D.C. Because he won Pennsylvania. He won Ohio. He won Florida. He won Michigan. He won Wisconsin. Uh, any one Iowa. Those are the six states. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Um, we look at 2008 when he faced off against McCain. He won 28 states, 22 states. Okay, cool. 2004, Bush beat John Kerry 31-19 in 2000. Very close race. Um, but think about this. It was a very close race. Al Gore got the popular vote. He got the popular vote. Um, 48.4% to 47.9%. A difference of a little over 500,000 votes. 540,000 votes, okay? So you got that. Bush beat Gore by 10 states. Same thing. Gore got 20 states plus D.C. Bush got 30 states. The difference was... uh, the, the, The difference between them is that Bush won Colorado... Um, Jesus, what's some of the differences? I mean, Trump won Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin and Iowa. What else is it? 
that uh, I'm gonna have to look back at this later. Uh, 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 Bush won uh, New Hampshire. He won Virginia. So there you go. So he won Virginia, New Hampshire, and Colorado, and in exchange lost um, Michigan and Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Iowa. And there's got to be one other state that I'm missing. Oh, and Bush won Nevada. That's the differences. Okay. Um, no, with shifting demographics, increasing minorities, increasing millennials, and increasing Gen Z is all left leaning left a right wing politician may not win national popular vote for a generation at least i don't see that happening dude because here's the other thing people automatically think the concept that's the other problem is that people think the concept that if you're one thing automatically you vote that way down here in florida cubans vote republican mexican americans puerto ricans and a bunch of other Hispanic Latinos, they vote Democrat. But Cubans vote Republican. There's a lot of people in the African American community that vote, uh, Republican. So, you know, and you got these Gen Zers who a lot more people are, when they get older, they're starting to realize, and it's, what's the old saying? You know, uh, you know, if you don't have, uh, I mean, if you are, what is it? If you're a Democrat and young, you don't have a brain. If you're Democrat and old, you don't have a heart or something like that. That was the old mantra, the joke and everything, um, which I don't see too, too much into that. I mean, it's funny, but I don't really see too much into that. But the, the fact is that people get older and they, their mindset does start changing. I remember was a hardened Obama Democrat. And since getting older and seeing things and I switched to independent because I was getting fed up with a lot of stuff with the Democrats, and I naturally transitioned over to the Republicans, you know, and falling for Trump to where now I'm, I'm a Liberty Republican and I'm a Trumpican. Um, you know, it's like, no, I get that. I'm just talking about the trends that show groups leaning one way or the other typically. Right. But at the same time, those numbers still add up here and there. So it is the funny thing. I'll tell you this. The funny thing is if we were to switch to the popular vote, I'd be curious to see how it goes because you got people who just don't bother voting in their state because they know how it goes. You got Oregonian Republicans, Washingtonian Republicans, and California Republicans that don't bother voting because California is going to go blue, so what's the point? But if we said if it was going to go a popular vote, they're going to come out. Now, on the flip side, you got Democrats in, say, Mississippi, in Alabama, maybe in Texas, uh... And some other states that had the same mindset. So it's going to be interesting to see how it would actually go. See, here's the other thing. The Electoral College, actually, if you think about it, is almost based on the idea of if everybody voted. Because it's based off of the amount of congressmen and senators, obviously, that each state has, which is based off of the population of each state. So it's like, it's actually, if you think about it, the idea is, um, if you think about the argument, is that now you've got... These the uh, the congressmen and the senators represent everybody that's a citizen of this country should be a citizen. Uh, they represent everybody like that, you know. Um, take a breath. <laughs> so if you think about it, ironically, it's as if they're representing everybody. So therefore, the electoral college is kind of like if everybody did vote. So it'd be interesting if we did do the popular vote if everybody voted. I'm not, and and I'm a big believer, and you guys can ask Luke about this because I really talked to him a lot and got him to be able to vote in in this last UK election. And Luke and I do not see eye to eye in population. And no, Texas is not a, a purple state, dude. Um, it's not, it, you know, it's not a purple state by any means, Texas. You know, just because it's got a growing number and that's because of all the, you know, the illegals down there. You know, Texas is not a purple state. 
you know, it's gone up. But then again, the argument would be made about New Hampshire. People have thought New Hampshire for a long time was a Democrat, and it's got a lot of Republicanness. Vermont, I'm still amazed a Republican can win the governorship in Vermont. I, I really am. I'm surprised. But it's it's doing that, you know. Um, but you have – oh, my God. I'm blanking out again. It's not going to be blue in 2024, dude. Trust me. Okay? Texas is not uh, – it's not. It's not. You got to look back at the 2016 election and see how they did, and that will tell you. You know, just because you had one guy do decently well in a Senate race, it's not going blue. It's not purple either. Um, it's scary to think that way because they got all these, these you know, people who shouldn't even be able to vote that's down there. But um, in any case, I'm trying to think. I had a great trend going on, and I just had to look at the screen. i got to stop looking at the screen. <laughs> um, I was off on that. I was off on that. So I'm missing the point on what I was saying on that, but that's okay. I'm basically starting to wrap it up anyway. So, But, like, I'm looking at this, for example, for, like, out of Texas, just because he brought it up, you know, I mean, the amount you see the numbers, it's it's same blue. You look at how the governor's election went in 18. It's, I mean, not blue, it's red. Even though we should be blue. If it wasn't for that stupid deal like with the news, they decided to switch it out. I mean, we're supposed to be the blue. Republicans, conservatives are blue, and liberals are supposed to be red. It's like that in Canada. It's like that in the U.K. It's like that in other countries, you know. Um, so, but in any case... So, oh yeah, so I got Luke to vote uh, in the last election. Luke and I do not agree at, uh, at all on on our viewpoints, but um, w- the fact is that I'm a big believer in voting. Am I saying that that means we should have a law that says voting should be obligatory? No, because the fact is is that it, um, it people will have a lot of fun with it. People already do have fun with it. There's a, I love the vote. Take a look at it. There's actually a uh, there's actually a um, a video of John Oliver when he talked about Brazilian elections back in like 2013 or so. And he pointed out the fact that people have made joke candidates for years in Brazil because voting is obligatory and they have joke candidates all the time. Now you'll have people who do stuff like that as well. I mean, look at the United States. We have Vermin Supreme running for the Libertarian Party, you know. Um, But at the same time, you've got, um, you have other joke people like our boy Michael Corvin. He says he writes in Mickey Mouse because he doesn't believe the voting system works. The fact that the guy has not been educated properly. He just automatically believes that garbage from the media. But he'll vote in Mickey Mouse, you know. If voting were to be um, obligatory, it would just go even more so. But we do need to encourage and promote voting, period, you know, regardless. Um, You know, that's just – I'm a big proponent about that, Uh, you know, and – so that that's basically the long and short of it. Uh, I'm going to start getting out of here. I've been on the. Uh, I mean, I, I might take some calls or something. I mean, if people want to do by Skype or something. Yeah, I've been going an hour and a half. First thing I want to do is I want to promote a new business that just started up over here. If you guys take a look at the news, it's great. There's a new coffee shop down over here in Florida in the town of Largo, the city of Largo, called Conservative Grounds. Um, I've been there. It, they just did a soft opening Saturday. Today is Sunday night. I have been there both mornings. I work I work nights, so I sleep during the day. So the fact that I went there in the morning both days is saying a lot. I actually tried going there tonight, and it turns out they closed up early. <laughs> so uh, 
Uh, but these guys, they, they're hitting the news. Blaze TV is talking about them. Uh, Fox 13 News, WTS, uh, WTSV, I think is how it is, uh, 10, which is like the NBC or the CBS affiliate down here. Um, they're on Fox News as well, at least for the news article. Uh, these guys are getting themselves out there. Uh, you guys can check them out. Here's the cool thing. You walk on in, they got the giant map showing, um, uh, no, I'm, you're not as left as I'm right, dude. You're far more left, okay? You're socialist, basically, okay? I'm not hard and conservative, okay? But, um, anyway, conservative, this is the cool thing they got. You know, they got a map of the United States showing the coloring of how the country went. The red for Donald Trump, the blue for Hillary, which there's not a lot of blue. That's the funny thing. You know, if you base off by county, there's so little. They have a makeshift, uh, oval office set up with a, with actual replica of the resolute desk for the presidency. They got the presidential flag and the U.S. flag. They got the famous bust of Martin Luther King. They've got the, the Bronco Buster, uh, cowboy statue from the White House. Uh, they got a lot of cool things. They got the portrait of Andrew Jackson, just like in the Oval Office that's always been there. You know, uh, they got a lot of cool things. You can sit there, take some pictures, take a relax over there, and, um, and have your fun. The only thing is you can't bring your drinks back at the Resolute Desk. They don't want to risk it getting stained or anything. Uh, but it's a really cool concept. The donuts are great. You know, I've been there and I've twice gotten the maple bacon donut. It's a donut with some maple syrup on top, uh, maple glaze, and uh, with bacon all over it. Oh, my God, that was awesome. I've also had the peanut butter donut, and I've had the um, cinnamon toast crunch donut because, obviously, you know, cereal is part of a balanced breakfast, and it was uh, really delicious. Um, I've had the – I had a decaf coffee and a hot chocolate for the two dumbs one day. I didn't go for a lot of coffee because I had to go to sleep, so – uh, but yeah, you know, so it's, it's really cool. The fact is, is that anybody's allowed to come there. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, your religion, your faith. People think that it's offensive, but it's not. Anybody can go to conservative grounds. And, um, it's, it's a really cool place, you know. It, the whole concept came up because of that incident where, uh, at a Starbucks, there was six police officers in there getting some snacks and the, the manager basically politely, if you want to use the word, told them to leave because it was making people, uh, it was making the people very in- uncomfortable that the police were there. And these guys got fed up with it. So they decided to make a place that clearly is on the conservative and Republican side of ideology, but it's supposed to be a coffee shop that's, that's any, for first responders and people can go. And, uh, you know, EMS, firefighters, police officers, you can go and attend and you can enjoy yourself. Uh, they get discounts. They have actually a wall. If you're a veteran or a police officer or a firefighter, you can actually, you know, with a Sharpie, write on the wall and show your presence. Uh, a really cool place. And uh, they got four TVs set up. Two of them play Fox News. One's Fox News. One's Fox Business News. And the other one's Newsmax. They have the fourth one off right now. They're trying to determine what they're going to play. Uh, they're going to be having events there regularly. You know, in fact, they got the upcoming Democrat debate on Tuesday, and uh, they're going to be having what they call comedy night. So they're going to be there open until after the debate, and it's just going to be a pure comedy night. And the joke's going to be like, how many – take a shot every time somebody says Donald Trump, you know, because you know the Democrats are going to try to attack because they can't uh, hold themselves up. So they got to attack the president instead. Um you know, and, uh, but yeah, no, we don't have, uh, th- th- okay, that's the funny thing. Luke inside, you know, of course the conservative place would have a wall. They don't have that kind of wall. Uh, that'd be cool though. They need to paint one of the walls like that. 
But they got a whole great concept going on. In fact, the funny thing is that they even said that they've had people call up and asking if they could franchise. You know, they want to set up their places like that. And he's like, are you kidding me? The fact this is already happening. Uh, going to have their grand opening in about two weeks or so. Um, I'm hoping I'm off that day. If I am off, I'm going to be there. If not, oh well. I was there for the soft opening. I was there for yesterday. I'm going to be there again tomorrow morning before I, uh, I can't be there for too long because I got to go to sleep because I got work tomorrow night. Uh, but I'm going to be there again and I'm going to get myself some snacks for the day. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, so wanted to shout them out. Uh, if you guys are wanting to call in for a couple of questions, uh, you know, comments, modest remarks, mostly on the questions base. Uh, and if you got my Skype, um, do I have a Skype Skype open? I, I have Discord open as well already. So if you're on Discord and you're in our WNC network chat on Discord, you connect in there and then uh, call in, you know. So um, go from there. Uh, let's see. I don't know if Angelo's got the Discord because I know he was wanting to call in. And uh, But, yeah, no, it really um, – I want, want to really try this out, you know, um, not sure a lot. There you go. So, you could do that drinking game for just Amy Klobuchar and end up off your head. Exactly. Um, but that's one of the things I was even saying to them when they were like, take a shot every time. I'm like, dude, you're going to have to have EMS hide on location because you're going to have alcohol poisoning. <laughs> so... But check them out. Go on their go on their Facebook page, Conservative Grounds. Uh, they have a Twitter as well, which is uh, uh, at the Right Coffee. And check them out. These guys have been blowing up. They're on Instagram. Uh, there you go. You can go to Twitter, Conservative Grounds, which is at the Right Coffee. Um, should be the same as well for their Instagram. These guys got more social media than I do. <laughs> Let's see. Is that them? No, that can't be them. Right Side Coffee, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, I love this. It says from Facebook because, of course, they own it. Uh, oh, that's a coffee shop in Barcelona. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I'll try to find that as well. Um but these guys are going in their numbers. Like, uh, they only just set up their Twitter. They've got 176 followers right now. And they're only following, it doesn't let me see who they're following. They're only following two people. Um, but their Facebook, I could tell you this, just the other day, they had 800 followers. They're already up to, uh, uh, 1300 followers. And, uh, they're hoping to keep growing everything. These guys are doing some great stuff. They gotta post some more stuff on Facebook. Um, for like since they're opening, they've only got a couple of posts so far. I mean, they've been doing a lot of stuff. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I was there. I took a video for them. Uh, I, you know what? Now I see all these other ones that they've done in the last day, and so that's good. Maybe some more pictures of some of the people. I mean, they've had some people. Like they just had this one earlier today. A World War II veteran stopped by, and he's wearing his Keep America Great hat. And um, oh no, they gave him the Keep America Great hat. And he was happy for it. And they took a picture. Ninety-six year old World War II veteran. That's awesome. You know, these guys are getting great numbers and and going up. And I'm just I'm friends with the guy who who runs it. And um, you know, I just love the concept. So. I'm planning on like my days off using that as like a nice coffee shop for me to go relax, 
and uh, probably do some computer work. If there's a if there's a slot for me, an outlet for me to plug in my computer, I'm gonna be doing a lot of work over there. So um, yeah, but probably actually gonna call, uh, call it a night instead of doing the calls tonight. You know, this is the first time doing it, so we'll probably do it for the future. Something. Um, overall, I mean, I spent a lot of time talking about Bernie Sanders. Keep in mind, watch out for Super Tuesday. It's going to be interesting. You know what I mean? And uh, see how it goes. Um, as for, uh, what do you call it? As for uh, the Electoral College, like I said, I don't support the whole idea of the popular vote because then it's putting just too much power into a couple of states like that. With the Electoral College, every single state has an importance. Yes, there are states that obvious where they're going to go. Yes, it's obvious. Texas is red. Uh, Republican, uh, California is Democrat, Washington is Democrat, Alabama is Republican, but at the same time, it's still the power they have. These things could change, you know, you know, uh, I mean, most, most of these states know. That's why we have the swing states that we got. But it's, uh, but at the same time, that it's still, every single state has that power. Just because we count it out, it's like, oh, well, we all know where it's going to go, so now we just got to do the math on these. That's us being easy and lazy. And I'll admit that. That's me being lazy, you know, because we already know where it's going to go, so there's no point in doing a lot of the work. But that's still the importance for it, because remember, the president still needs to win enough states. Whoever's going to be the president of the United States needs to win enough states to get 270 electoral votes. So just because you have states that's already counted out, that just means the fact that they're still doing that job. I mean, look at 1984. 1984 is a great example. Walter Mondale faced off against Ronald Reagan. And how many states did Walter Mondale win? His home state. His home state. He won his home state of frickin' Minnesota. And I don't say it like that like as an attack on Minnesota and far from it. But that's what he got. He got himself Minnesota and Washington in D.C. Ronald Reagan was able to win every single state. You know, even states that people count. It's just like how this last election went in 2016. You know, people... Yes, Pennsylvania could be a close call. Yes, Michigan could be a close call, but they was going they were blue for a while. You know, Donald Trump only missed New Hampshire by a hairline. He missed Virginia by a hairline. He missed Nevada by a hairline. He missed Minnesota by a thicker hairline, but still a hairline, you know? So these things could change. I mean, even like listen to Ben Shapiro, and I do think it's a little bit of a stretch, but he's saying Donald Trump could win Minnesota. He could win Nevada. He could win Virginia. After all the stuff that's happened in Virginia, I really say Virginia is going to be a battleground this week, this year. You know, New Hampshire, he only missed it by a little bit. So these things can happen, you know? So it's just the question of, do the trends stay? You know, like I said, Ronald Reagan... In 1980, when he, uh, when Ronald Reagan ran against Carter and then, uh, the independent Anderson, who someone could say, oh, he's helped split the vote or whatever, fine, whatever. But the fact is, hey, that's the deal about having multiple candidates, you know? It's not just about having two candidates. Nobody's a sport candidate. Uh, unless you purposely get in because you're trying to take down somebody else, you know? Uh, but Ronald Reagan did well enough that he won 44 states. You know, he didn't win Hawaii, Georgia, Minnesota, um, West Virginia, Maryland, and Rhode Island. Those are the six states that Jimmy Carter won. And then John Anderson, the independent, didn't win any states. But he got 6% of the vote. So there you go. You know, and then what happens? Reagan wins all those states except for, except for Minnesota, which was Mondale's home state. You know, so, I mean, these trends can, st can change. You know, we look at 1988 with George Bush Jr. and he got 40 of the states. You know, he faced up against Dukakis 
and Bush won Illinois. He won Illinois and California. You know, California is staying Republican because of the fact of Ronald Reagan was their governor. It's easy to pull off that incentive. But the fact that he pulled off Illinois, even H.W. pulled off California and Illinois. Trends can change, you know. So just keep just you got to keep your eyes because this this state, this election will have more battlegrounds in the eyes of some people because of because of these numbers, you know. So with that, I'm Johnny. I'm getting on out of here. And I've uh, been killing everybody's time for uh, just under 100 minutes. So hope you guys had a good one. I'll talk to you all later.